Good morning, everyone. It's great to see so many here this morning. Uh, there are several who I know who are sick or not doing well, so I'm glad that uh, the rest of us are able to make it this morning. I'll have you turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs in chapter 2 in readiness. And we have several announcements and also two. Uh, are there any words of encouragement? I have a couple up here, uh, so I will read those here momentarily. So the announcements that I have are, number one, um, the college age is going to happen tomorrow night, so hope you can all show up for those of you who are college age. So Kevin, you're not quite college age, are you? No? Okay. All right. Love to have you, though. So anyway, uh, also to the family fellowship dinner for July is on, the, on Sunday evening the 16th, 5.30 at the Compton Homestead. Oh, by the way, uh, all of the evening assemblies, both Wednesday and Sunday evenings, will be happening at the Compton's house, except for the last Sunday in July, which is the fifth Sunday. And that will be at the fifth Sunday rally at the Alvador Christian Church. We'll start at 6 p.m. And uh, when you were there before, what a great time of singing and fellowship it was. So, and what? Oh, thank you. Bring refreshments to share. Thank you. Uh, also, too, uh, my heart skipped a beat this morning when I received a text from Carrie Drillinger. And I immediately thought of our sister Liberty, that her heart skipped several beats. Uh, if you noticed, the, the menu has changed just a little bit on the barbecue. Uh, it is now a baked potato bar. And so... Uh, I, I really was excited. I mean, I was excited about the barbecue, but I've never met a spud I have not loved. And so I can only imagine the multitude and varieties of love I will experience on this day. So anyway, the, all, the other, all the other specifics are there for you. So I sure hope you can come out and witness uh, Liberty eating potatoes like a crazy woman. I don't, I don't do that, though. <laughs> well, say what? I never have stolen her, her, her potatoes. I, I know she has, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, wait a minute. You're accusing me of something I am not guilty of, uh, or at least have been caught. So that probably is a better way to put it, right? And so uh, back to my list here. Oh, G4 Summit's coming up. And man, it's coming up pretty quick. R right after the end of July, we're here. And uh, I did get confirmation from Joey Starkey from uh, South Carolina and Mark Souter. They're both coming out. And uh, what good men they are. And so uh, I'm so thankful for them. Uh, so if you need, to, if you need to, to get away for a couple days from the family and whatnot, gentlemen, uh, please make sure you get your RSVP in by the 30th, by the 30th. I need, uh, I need the money, too. The reason being is that, uh, we, as you well know, we go up there early. And so right at Thursday morning at the crack of dawn, I, I fill out all the paperwork for all those who are going to be there on Thursday and secure your campsite. So uh, please let me know and get the RSVP to me by the 30th of July. 30th of July. All right. Uh, let's see. Here we go. A couple of... Uh, were, are there any other announcements, by the way? There is a singing a happy birthday to one who is at home with three little boys sick. So we'll sing happy birthday to her when, when we see her again. 
Uh, here we go. I'm so thankful for the fellowship I share with the McKinney family. We share a love for the truth and God's word, a love for hunting, and now a love for freshly roasted coffee. I went up there last week, and they got their own coffee roaster now. And they got it off the shelf, and they roasted the coffee for me because they knew I had another Bible study in, in Springfield or uh, uh, Salem. Oh, my Oh my, okay, now let's go to another cut above, another ratchet up. So I'll be talking about freshly roasted coffee uh, on a consistent basis, just warning you. All right, so anyway, uh, so thankful you're staying the course in the faith and service of Christ our Lord. Now that has nothing to do with coffee, it's just truth. So I'll give that to you here in a moment. All right, I'm so deeply thankful for how our fellowship here at, Ple at the Pleasant Hill Church serves the Lord. The 2080 rule has and continues to be rightly turned upside down because 80% or more are actively involved in building the kingdom here and abroad. So how many know the 2080 rule? The 2080 rule is a sad, sad rule in most institutions. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And that's a terrible thing. It's wonderful when a larger number of people work together to do great things. I mean, I'm telling you what, when I saw those men out there coming in, and, and it was so amazing how they just knew where they fit in, and they stepped right in and did their thing. I mean, it was like seamless. It was really, really cool to watch. And we were able, not a ton, but quite a few, were able to get two-thirds of that big, gigantic wood pile split, delivered, and stacked. That's, that's just absolutely amazing. So, and pizza magically appeared and cold water magically appeared. I mean, it was just awesome. So, anyway, very, very thankful for that. So, are there any other announcements? We're good to go. Anybody had a birthday coming up this week besides the lady has three little boys in Vanita who is not feeling well? Okay, let's pray and jump right in. Father, I'm so thankful for your word. You know, the last, <clears throat> the last few weeks I've been preaching on, on fear, our fear of you, <clears throat> and how that fear really has to be based upon uh, the pure love and devotion, based upon our awe and adoration of who you are. The great I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Our lives are created by you and our lives are created for you and in you our lives hold together. But Father, the world is falling apart around us and, and so Father, the more I, I dwell on the thought of, of loving you and having allowing you to have first place in my heart, each one of us, striving to humble ourselves, to yield ourselves to your will. The blessings that come to us, but then as we look around, the sadness we see in the world. Life that is miserable, life that is hopeless, life that has no purpose or meaning. And yet, Father, the church, those who truly love you are flourishing, and we are so deeply thankful. And I pray, Father, today as we continue to study about the fear your fear of you, the right fear of you, 
that, Lord God, we will experience the, the true uh, joy and peace and, and contentment that, that only those who love you can. We praise you and thank you for the opportunity once again to gather together freely as a free people. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow our faith and help us to become those who glorify you in everything that we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's grab our Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs in chapter 2. There's another great passage here about the fear of God as the beginning of, of not only knowledge but wisdom. In Proverbs in chapter 2, beginning there in verse 1, notice what the writer says. My son, if you'll receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. Uh, for if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Wow, what a, what a beautiful passage of scripture. For those who fear him, he gives knowledge, he gives wisdom, he gives understanding. And in that, as we practice that, that he is our shield. And he is the one who, who lifts us up and secures us in his will. Remember the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to be in such awe of his total greatness and complete sovereignty over everything and everyone. We in adoration and love serve him, wanting to be pleasing to him in every respect. And so this morning I bring a lesson titled, The Fear of God is to Know and Do His Will. You know, it's rather interesting. I'm, I, I, I'm okay with getting older. I really am. Aches and pains, not so much. But getting older, it's kind of exciting. I only wish I knew what I know now back when I was an idiot. Because then I wouldn't have been an idiot. I know I'm not the only one that shares that. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, though, the longer I live, the more I c am convinced that, that there, there's really not much fear of the Lord in the hearts of men or women. Nor do people search his word to really know his will and obey his will. You see, if, if Jesus has first place in our hearts, in our minds, and our souls, then we will be yielded to him and to his will according to the authority of his word. You know, where do we find the will of God? Where do we find the great standard of life abundant? We find it in his word. You see, our knowledge and wisdom must reflect what I call the... Uh, I always say this wrong. Let me try to say it right. Our knowledge and wisdom must reflect the truth of the substantive reality of God's will for our lives in everything we do and say, including 
are important relationships. The most important relationship, of course, in the Lord is marriage. You know, there's two marriages, you know. For a woman who's married, there's two husbands, you know. And so it's important for us to know his will. You see, I believe that Satan targets and kills those who are interested in knowing about this relationship. For from the very beginning, think about this, from the very beginning, the very first husband and wife, he targeted them to destroy their God-given roles that he lays out for us in the scriptures. And from that, the counterfeit, the perversion of the one flesh relationship of marriage, which is to reflect that perfect and beautiful relationship of God and his church, but is destroyed by the devil. Satan's scheme of counterfeit and perversion has destroyed the honor, the purity, and the sanctity of this powerful relationship that can and does reflect the great love and respect in marriage that God so desires the world to see manifest in his people, really in all people. So let us learn the fear of the Lord and his will for the marriage relationship so that our marriages first, then our families, through our children, and each individual will come to an understanding of the great sacrificial love of God for mankind. I only have two points this morning. The first one is to recognize the dynamic and the, the God-given roles in the marriage relationship of husband and wife. The second is keep the, the marriage bed pure. It seems like our, our world has gone violent and perverted. And even more so, violent and perverted. And it's, it's sickening to me. And something needs to be said and something needs to be done. And I'll say it and let's all of us get together and do it. If it is God's will. Amen. So let's begin this morning in my first point, And that is... Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 33. You know, this is such a familiar passage. And I know for myself, I'm just confessing that this happens to me. Sometimes when someone stands up and shares a, a very familiar passage, I go, oh, I know all about that. And I kind of check out, you know, the blank blue screen on the computer. Uh, I have to be honest. Sometimes that happens. I'm not being... And I'm not being mean to you. I'm just saying that sometimes happens to me. I know it's a human condition. I pray you won't blue screen this morning. Okay? Let us all get it fired up so we can actually see the wonderful pictures and, and uh, important facets of this passage. So beginning in verse 22, Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, that he might sanctify his wife, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she would be holy and blameless. 
So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ in the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Before I transition to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7, through 7, this passage is an anathema to so many in the world, including many in the church. That's absolutely terrible. And I think it is because that there have been preachers who have misinterpreted this passage horribly to the detriment of wives, to the detriment of husbands, to the detriment of marriage, and Satan is victorious by destroying marriages. But let us not be prey to his schemes. Marriage as God designed it, is powerful for the husband, powerful for the wife, and powerful for the children, and powerful for our society. Now let's turn quickly to 1 Peter in chapter 3, and then we'll come back and look at three important bullet points. 1 Peter in chapter 3, again, a very familiar passage, and, and many, as a, many of us are very familiar with it, but yet there's some very powerful statements here that I think oftentimes are missed. I'm not saying in your life, but oftentimes are missed. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them, any of the husbands, are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful or honoring behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Well, if you'll take your note sheets out, if you have them, and take a look at the three uh, bullet points there. The husband first needs to understand that he really is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, being the savior of the body. You know what that actually means? That means the husband will sacrifice himself totally for the woman without expectation. Choose wisely then, my sons. Your wife. Now, what does that mean to be the head? Kefle, top. 
The scripture teaches a whole bunch of things. The man is to be the protector. That's a part of kephle. The man is to be the provider. That's a part of kephle. And the man is to set the example of what the church, what Jesus Christ, what the family of God is to look like by his sacrifice for his wife and the kids. Christ first, husband first. You know, in the churches uh, I have worked with and, and been around, the preachers commonly say that the man is the head of the wife, so the woman, and they won't say this overtly as much as she just needs to shut up and do whatever he says. There's a problem there. If a man is not in subjection to the Lord Jesus, who is his husband, he is outside of God's will. This statement here says that the husband must be the leader. He must be the provider. He must be the protector. And he must show an example of Christ as Christ was subject to the Father to do his will. So you and I, husbands, young men, yet to be married, need to humble ourselves before God and yield ourselves to his will in sacrificing for our wives. And for our children. If you will not do that. The Bible says very clearly. That being outside of God's will. Will keep you out of heaven. The second here. Is the husband is to, to love his wife. Sacrificing self for her. In order to sanctify her. It says that. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself. So that you and I would be sanctified. You see, if we want our wives to become what God created them to be, men, we need to sacrifice ourselves to help her see what a Christian is, to follow that example, and she'll fit into God's will as God calls her to fit into God's will. If you're not following God's will, she is terrified. If you're doing your own thing, she's terrified. Why? because she doesn't have that first place in your heart. Who has first place in his heart? Jesus has you as first place in his heart. We are the apple of his eye, it says in the scriptures. You know what that means? That's powerful. That means he so loves you, he's constantly watching and listening and responding. That's what it actually means. So as the husband is that for Christ, so the wife sees she can trust the husband. She will be holy and blameless. She'll be built up. She'll be valued above all others. She'll become the very heart and rib of your life to help you become the man that God has created you to be. It's a beautiful, beautiful union. The wife, on the other hand, is to choose to serve her husband. Notice, did you hear what I said? She must choose to serve her husband. That's a tough thing to do. Sarah chose to serve her husband, and her husband was a knucklehead at least a couple times. I'm sure more than a couple, but he was a knucklehead a couple times. I'm telling good job, Abraham. You're making your wife do something that she ought not to do. Man, I think that... Uh, God was not real happy with that. 
It's important then, men, to understand the first two roles that you're charged with. So your wives will then joyfully choose to submit to their husband, yielding first to God's will so she can be the perfect wife, the perfect helpmate, that beautiful rib and heart for her husband without any fear. You see, honestly, I understand when a woman would tremble when her husband is not doing God's will. Because it means there's disaster down the road. So men, step up and do God's will. Sacrifice yourself. Be the head. Be the lead. Be the provider. Be the protector. Be that example of Christ. So that your wife will become that beautiful helpmate that God has called her to be. With all virtue, honor, and respect for the position that God has given the man. I don't believe that this has been preached very much. Oh yeah, this passage has been preached a lot, but talking about the critical nature of the husband's role and how that is going to help the wife fill her critical role and responsibility. Do you know what the word sanctify means? To be called to a holy purpose. Wives are called to a powerful and holy purpose. Even this morning, our brother Jeff preached an awesome sermon about how critical that encourager is in the life of someone who's out leading. The greatest encourager should be the wife of her husband. The greatest leader for that woman outside of Christ should be her husband because he's step walking in the footsteps of Christ. Now I want to turn to point number two. In point number two, I would like you to turn back to the book of Hebrews and uh, chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And notice in Hebrews in chapter 13, one little verse, verse four. Verse four. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Point number two, marriage is to reflect Christ's pure covenant love. How many of you know that there's, there's only two covenants that are a one flesh covenant? A one flesh covenant. We know from the scriptures that when we're immersed into Christ, he fills our bodies and we are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's a one flesh relationship. This mystery is great, Paul says, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. The, the relationship between a Christian man and woman and Christ is a one flesh relationship. Jesus does have a body, a physical body in this world. Right now, it's your body. Your body is for the Lord, not for immorality, the Bible says. Your body is for the Lord to glorify his magnificent character to the world in every word, deed, and relationship. And so marriage needs to be held in highest regard as what we have just read. And also, too, the marriage bed must be undefiled. Now, it's rather interesting. I want to start here in regards to uh, a passage of Scripture, I think, that is so important. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. As we look at our lesson plan, it says, 
pure. Let's see, the, the marriage bed is to be honored and undefiled. Pure before marriage. Your, your relationship with young ladies or young men is to be pure before you're married. Take a look. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. I have to be honest with you. Many of you know my past, and these kinds of passages crush me, but the last passage, so thankful for the love of Christ who's cleansed me and empowered me. So let's read. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that, you, that we receive from us uh, that you have received from us instruction on how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel so more and more. For you know the commandment that we gave by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you would abstain from, it should be literally there, fornication. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do, who not know God, and that no man transgress uh, or defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, just as you also told you before and solemnly warn you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So that he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit. Fornication is experiencing marriage intimacy before marriage. I want to be discreet in how I describe it. And so, young men and young women, you need to learn to control your vessel, your body, in sanctification and honor. Instead of lustful passions like the Gentiles. That's what it's actually saying there. That is what God's standard is for single young people. But the world teaches something completely different. I fell victim to the devil's schemes. I suffered horribly. It still brings challenges in my life when I think about what I did and the consequences and the death and destruction it brought to more than just my unborn son or daughter. That is horrible, and, and I fell for the devil's scheme, as many have. That's why I'm so thankful for 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, verses six through, or verses uh, 9 through 11, and we'll look at that here momentarily. But I want to look at the second part here in regards to pure during marriage. You know, we know that the Bible says in the Ten Commandments, and also Jesus states it, that thou shalt not commit what? Adultery. And that's being involved in marital intimacy with someone who is not your husband or your wife. Now, I don't need to do much more than that because that is so destructive. And I've seen so many families destroyed because of them walking away, one or both walking away from God's standard. And the destruction is not just for the man or the woman, but it's for so many others and the church. So I want to move on, though, to the next point here, the next scripture, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. And I have to be honest with you. I have struggled to understand a statement in this passage that I have not understood, and I finally understand it. 
Notice it says in verse 18, we're going to read the whole thing, verses uh, 9 through 20, or verses 12 through 20, but look at verse 18. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. I never understood what that meant, but now I do. The one flesh relationship with Jesus Christ is a mere image of the one flesh relationship in marriage. In fact, if you're a Christian, you are one flesh with Jesus Christ. And so when you commit immorality, when you are unfaithful, you are actually dragging Jesus, his body, into that horrible, putrid act. Unlike any other sin that's outside the body, that one drags Jesus into that I don't know about you, but what a heinous thought to think. There's only two covenant relationships that are one flesh. There are other covenant relationships, but only two. Marriage and becoming a Christian. Your body is the focus of that one flesh relationship. What is your body used for? in your relationship with Christ, to glorify God. What is your body used for in marriage? To glorify God, to sanctify your wife, to empower your husband. That's what it's about. Now let's read this passage of scripture, verse 12 through 20. All things are, all things are, let's see, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and stomach is for the food, but... God will do away with both of them, yet, we're changing it up here, yet, the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now, God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the member of Christ and, and make them a member of a prostitute? May it never be. Or, or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. Notice that one flesh, marital intimacy in that realm is that there's a union in the spiritual realm. And it doesn't matter whether it's in or outside of the marriage. In the marriage, it blesses and it bonds and it unites and it builds. Outside the marriage, it destroys and brings fear and hatred and jealousy and concern and suspicion. It does everything opposite of what God designed it to do. And so as we read on and we take a look at this, just a few points that I have down here. Number one, our body is meant for a one flesh union with the Lord and our spouse only. For the one flesh relationship is between husband and wife and the Lord only. So when you unite yourself, when you're a young man or a young woman before you become a Christian, you are actually defraud, defrauding a Christian in the future. That's what it may, means by 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I wish somebody would have taught me this. I wish my, my dad was, took me down and, and sat down and said, this is what it's all about. Quite the opposite, unfortunately, with my dad, as you well know. It's so important for us to understand the nature and the spiritual nature of a one flesh relationship with our spouse that God 
in the beginning, desires for you and your marriage to honor marriage and be undefiled. So as a single person, you can defile that. I defiled my marriage. I'm ashamed to say that. But I did. But I'm so thankful for the cleansing power and the power of the restoration and the sanctification by the Holy Spirit, as we'll read in just a moment. I just don't want you to get so discouraged that you shut down. Because so many of us, unfortunately, have, have found ourselves in that situation before we are married and maybe even after. So notice the next point here. It says to glorify the Lord in our bodies. You know, God needs to be glorified in our bodies in every way. And this is a very powerful way to glorify God in our bodies. You've heard before, and maybe some of you have had people come up and say, man, you guys got it all going on in your marriage. How does that work? Well, because I'm trying to fulfill my role as a husband who loves sacrificially and provides and Sharon's fulfilling her role or striving to fill her role to be honoring and respectful. I've shared this before, but I'll tell you what, Sharon really leveled me one day. I mean, totally wiped me out. She comes in after a study and she goes, I just want to know how much I love you for you are my Lord. All of a sudden, I was elevated and now I got to perform. <laughs> Freaked me out, man. <laughs> but that was good. All of a sudden, I was under pressure. You ever notice that when somebody asks you to do something great and they, they believe in you, you go, okay, and you're going to step up to that expectation. That's what happened to me. Wow. But finally, it says here, this one flesh relationship is to be monogamous. Monogamous, mon monogamous. It's easy to say that, right? It's one, only one woman, one man. Monogamous, faithful, and one man, one woman. Until death do they part. So one flesh relationship, united as one. Now again, I, I've re referenced 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11, and I'll tell you what, this verse is so important for me. This verse is so important for me because of the poor choices I made before. And I'm so thankful for the sacrifice of Christ. I could never, ever pay the debt I owe, as Ken was saying. But he paid it in full. So I want you to know today, wherever you're at, that God extends that justification and sanctification. If you will, as we started at the beginning, yield yourself to his will, not just know the word, but live the word out in your life. Please read with me verse 9 through uh, verse 11, and we'll close with this passage. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived by the schemes of the devil. 
Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. He's saying, Christians, some of you were these people. There's hope for you. In that church, there were fornicators, there were idolaters, there were adulterers, there were effeminate, there were homosexuals, there were thieves, thieves, there were covetous, there were drunkards, there were revilers, there were swindlers in that church. And now they're Christians. Now they're sons and daughters of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed by the blood of Jesus when you were immersed into Christ, you were sanctified when the Spirit filled you. And you were justified, made innocent before God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. There is a spirit of the devil that has a hold of our culture in this world. It's a culture of violence and it's a culture of perversion. And you don't have to look at any social media or turn on the television or listen to the radio that every time you hear that culture, and you were sharing it here a few months ago, that culture, I think it was of death or something. Is that what you said? The culture of death. That's what Satan is doing. He wants to destroy marriage. But God desires that men, boys, you rise up and you become that head being in subjection to his will, giving yourself fully to serving the Lord, and the blessings will come in your life. The true pleasures of the intimacy of marriage will be yours, and they won't be stolen before you even get there. Brethren, it's so important for us to realize, like myself, we once were victims, but we're no longer victims. We're victorious in Christ Jesus. How could I do what, how could I preach this sermon based upon what you know that I have done? It's because that's not who I am right now. And if you're in Christ, that's not who you are right now. You are sanctified. You are justified. You have been washed and you have been empowered. And now we can rise up and help other people not experience the same thing. There are people in the churches suffering horribly because they don't, haven't heard this message and they are crushed and they don't understand there's freedom in Christ. There are people who are not yet Christians so desperately struggling. Many are committing suicide. I heard of a story just here recently about a young woman who was not happy with her uh, biological gender and decided to make some changes and ended up throwing herself in front of a train just this last week. You see, if we see and understand who we are in Christ Jesus and we live out that role as husband, as wife, as man, as woman, as boy and girl, developing that life so that they can serve the Lord more beautifully in the context of marriage. I think that many of us, not all of us, but many of us have suffered 
from this ugly scheme of the devil. Whether it was, was something that we did or something that was perpetrated against us. Brethren, please study the scriptures. Invest yourself in doing God's will, knowing that he loves you and he will cleanse you and he will justify you and he will sanctify you and he'll empower you and now we can help other people change. Amen? That's what this work is all about, brethren, is bringing the good news. Let's get it right and let's move forward. Let's pray. Our holy God in heaven, how deeply thankful I am for your love. It's overwhelming to understand the greatness of your love. And it's, I'm so thankful for it. And I pray, Father, that we'd recognize that we are not those people if we'll remain faithful to you as your children and continue to grow that faith to have the confidence that only you can give through the knowledge of your word, that the message is true. And whether we fall and pray to the devil's schemes, we will no longer, and we'll be raised up as a mighty army to speak the truth about these things. I pray, Holy Father, that you would help each one of us to have this mindset, mindset of victors, Mindset of those who are more than conquerors. We are liberators, liberating people, freeing them from the bondage that Satan has used to bind people so often. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's get all excited, all right? Get all excited. Let's go out and take it to the devil. What did Jesus say to do? He said to go. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Jesus Christ is still the king of kings, king of kings. All right, let's go do it. Thank you.